Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Obviously, I am not Ryan Abraham. This is Keely Orr taking over hosting duties for Ryan while he's at the opening in Frisco, Texas with Gerard Martinez. I have Dan Weber on the line. We're going to be talking about USC is in the news again. I think we tempted the news gods, Dan. A couple podcasts yeah. ago, we said it was a quiet offseason, not so much anymore for USC. So we'll we'll get into that and take your questions, answer those as well. But if you have any questions or comments for the show, drop us an email at podcast at uscfootball.com. You can also leave us a voice Voicemail at 424-254-9141. Dan, how's it going? Pretty good. And I will qualify that. I think I said it was a quiet week. I don't think I ever said I think the other 51 are probably not going to be quiet. But, uh, yeah, we had, a, we had a quiet week last week uh, until after the podcast. And then uh, it's been kind of interesting the, uh, the next seven days after the, uh, last week's podcast. So, uh so give us uh, one week off, and then the news cycle is back. True. That's a good clarification. We said it was a quiet week, but the offseason yeah. for sure hasn't been quiet. Uh, but speaking of which, let's just get into the news. On Monday, an ex-USC football assistant, Rick Courtright, filed, filed a lawsuit, um, and he alleged that he was forced out after reporting possible NCAA violations within the USC football program. So he was USC's defensive quality control assistant from 2016-2018. And in the lawsuit, one of the things that he alleges is that uh, he overheard grad assistants Brett Ars Ayers, I think that's how you say it, and Austin Clark uh, discussing with Clancy Pendergrass to pay two students with low-level positions in the program to take online classes for the grad assistants. Um, he also alleges other things like unsupervised workouts. Uh, he In the lawsuit, he mentions that uh, incident at the Wazoo game a couple years back where Jordan Isefa and Jalen Green uh, hit each other during warm-ups and both <laughs> suffered concussions and had to sit out for the game. I know Dan and I uh, complained about it at the time about how that was not the smartest move by USC. Uh, but in the, in the lawsuit, Courtright uh, alleges that he was essentially forced out uh, and harassed after uh, filing with USC's athletic department's compliance office office in June 2017. He says he was essentially bullied. Um, and then in 2018, in April, uh, Clay Helton gave Courtright the choice of either resigning or being fired. Uh, and so Courtright resigned in May 2018. So, Dan, uh, this seems like a tricky situation. Definitely puts Clancy Pendergast in the spotlight in a negative way. What do you take away from this this filing? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, Coach Cartwright, uh, calling Coach, uh, it's hard to know what exactly to call, you know, the guys on the state. He was probably the lowest profile guy ever, you know, that's come down the pike here at USC. Um, I don't know, just a lot of different reactions. First of all, are you really a whistleblower if you say that uh, you turned USC in for an incident? That happened, I would guess, you know, we were there. We saw him go down. 
uh, I would guess there were 20,000 fans in the stands at the time. Everybody remarked about it. How do you get whistleblower status for something like that? And, and the second part of that is, if you're on the USC staff and guys are doing things that are, you know, dangerous, uh, don't have the right equipment on, should be wearing helmets, whatever, you don't blow the whistle. You go up to those guys and you tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, put a helmet on, dummy, whatever. You know, I mean, the whole, that, that thing, you know, is that, you know, put in a lawsuit just to, you know, one more thing that you could say, USC, nah, 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 we got you. Uh, that, that just seems dumb. Um, as far as the, uh, the whole grant, and I know that a lot of the headlines were like uh, NCA violations. I don't know what is the, you know, it may be unethical. It might even be criminal if it actually happened the way he said. But I don't, you know, unless you're paying for players, for somebody to take courses for players, I don't know that grant assistance are covered you know, by NCA rules in, in, in that particular case. I mean, yeah, obviously, you really wouldn't want it. You would think it would be covered by USC's, uh, you know, code of uh, academic ethics or whatever. But um, it certainly doesn't seem like uh, the kind of thing, you know, that would become an NCA, you know, violation. Uh, the other thing, I know Courtright said that he had been promised the 10th uh, assistant spot when the NCA you know, enlarged the staffs from 9 to 10. I don't think there was any question that was going to carry Colbert. I mean, to act like, you know, that they, they went back on, I mean, if he'd have been named to that, you know, 10th assistant instead of Kerry Colbert, I mean, everybody would have been in shock. It would have been like, who, what, why? I know also that, you know, in reading the, uh, the lawsuit, he took credit for, uh, coming up with the uh, uh, pressure packages or whatever that helped USC, you know, win 10 games that year. And I'm thinking, wow, I wonder, was that the pressure package that gave up 49 points on seven straight possessions to Penn State in the, in the Rose Bowl? I mean, USC won that game, but I don't know that they won it thanks to, you know, uh, Courtright's uh, pressure packages. Uh, so, you know, it looks like a little little sour grapes. Uh, obviously, uh, the staff didn't get along. If, you know, you've got one guy spying on other people on the staff. I mean, if you think it's wrong, I think don't you just go, instead of going to compliance, you just go up to, you know, your boss, Clancy, and say, are you, are you okay with it? If this is what you're saying is happening, don't you say, hey, coach, I don't know. You know, are you comfortable with this or whatever? But, I, you know, I, I think just the idea of, of going to compliance with that uh, without having taken it to either Clancy or Clay, um, I, I don't know how that works. I just think if you're a member of the staff and something is happening that you think, I mean, do you know for sure that's what, you know, the, if you, you know, if we don't know that there's any proof of exchange of money or, or anything like that. But if you've got a question about money exchanging hands or whatever, don't you kind of ask people, you know, or get a clarification of exactly what it is as opposed to, you know, waiting for this time and then, uh, um, you know, and then filing a lawsuit. Uh, one would think that if this was turned into compliance, compliance was is, has been run by Michael Blanton, a vice president, and who is now – the vice president for at least four different, you know, uh, 
operations at USC, including, you know, like sort of a general ombudsman role and ethics and governance and all of that. So one would think that USC has a real file, you know, a case file on this. And uh, I'd be shocked if uh, USC hasn't checked this out and it hasn't gone, you know, through channels and all of that. Now, obviously, when you file a case like that, file a lawsuit on the day the new president, you know, starts her, you know, tenure at USC, you know, you're looking for the maximum, you know, exposure and, and when you get the story to TMZ, you know, to make sure that, you know, they, you know, they broadcast it as, as widely as possible, you know, that's, that's what happens when you're, you know, you're in Los Angeles and when you're, you know, USC right now. But uh, I just think there are an awful lot of questions about uh, the allegations in that lawsuit that, you know, USC is going to have to answer, uh, certainly the ones about the grant assistance and having uh, students, uh, you know, do their online classes. I think USC has to has to be able to answer that one. The rest of them, uh, the charges kind of look like just, you know, opinion throwing it up against the wall with uh, with nothing to back it up. Now, USC issued a response, and they said USC is investigating the allegations in the lawsuit. The university strives to ensure compliance with NCAA rules. Now, when talking specifically about the grad student situation alleged in the lawsuit, what are the ramifications if that is true? It seems like, hypothetically speaking, it would be hard to prove that that happened. I mean, you'd have to track down some things. But what what are the real consequences if that were to be true? Well, I mean... You know, grad students, uh, you know, if they are getting a grad assistance, they have to be accepted into grad school, and then they have to, you know, be progressing toward a degree. I don't think, you know, the way it is now, they don't have to get a degree, but they've got to be, you know, progressing to it. Uh, I don't know what the penalties would be if the NCA said, oh, wait a minute, those two guys weren't, you know, progressing to a degree. Or you, know, you would think that the penalties would essentially be, internal in, in within USC in, in terms of uh, their own status at USC and you know we don't know who the uh, you know the other employees in the athletic department I, I don't like the term low-level you know uh, empl- student employees who were taking you know these these uh, online courses for them as the charge is but uh, one would think that's mostly an internal USC issue for USC to deal with. And I think USC has to get the bottom of it, you know, on top of the, you know, the uh, uh, admission scandal. Uh, USC certainly has to, you know, make sure that didn't happen the way it was said to have happened. Or if it did, then, uh, you know, those people, you know, have to be dealt with. And, and, and you know, if I mean, for Austin Clark, He's now the, you know, defensive line coach at the University of Illinois. I don't know what, and he's, you know, been the major, you know, conduit for the USC players who have transferred to Illinois. I don't know what the repercussions, you know, would be, you know, for him uh, at Illinois if this is as uh, alleged. Uh, so I don't, I don't think we absolutely know because I don't think we know how this plays out and who did what, if they did anything. Uh, but I would think it's mostly internal and mostly according to whatever the USC handbook, uh, you know, and whatever the rules are at USC, 
for dealing with, uh, you know, issues like this. Uh, but I'm not sure that there's a role, um, you know, for the NCA to play here. Uh, and, and everybody wants to throw, you know, since time immemorial, if you want to throw the most mud and get the most attention, you throw NCAA in the headline, you throw NCAA violations in the lead of your story. But that may not, that may not be the case here. Uh, I think we, we need to know more before we know if the NCA is even, you know, involved in any way. I mean, the good news, I think, is no players were involved. No one, you know, cheated to keep players eligible. And it's interesting, Dr. Fault, on her first day, it's probably not anywhere near the level of the 1,000-plus students at uh, North Carolina who were taking bogus courses uh, more than half of them athletes in order to stay uh, eligible. And the NCAA couldn't find a way to penalize the University of North Carolina because they ruled that that was essentially an academic issue within the University of North Carolina. One would think that however that principle applied and however people didn't like it, however it applied to the University of North Carolina when Dr. Fult was president there, would also apply to the University of Southern California when Dr. Fult is president here. So in the lawsuit, Courtright alleges that it's violating state and federal laws for a- academic fraud along with NCAA, but you think that this this might not involve those entities? It just might be an internal thing? Well, no, I, the, 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 second, uh, the first part there, the uh, uh, state and, you know, federal, I mean, they've expanded the federal, uh, you know, the federal government in the uh, basketball investigation where they seem to be enforcing NCA rules and, and calling that fraud uh, for the coaches, you know, getting involved with, uh, you know, with agents and what have you. And, um, you know, so there have been some expansion in terms of how, you know, the state and the federal governments kind of deal with these things. So, uh, you know, not a lawyer. And so I don't know, can they, you know, say that this is a, the kind of a fraud that is a fraud, uh, you know, that, that is covered by, you know, either federal or state law. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm one that is not even convinced that the whole, um, uh, you know, ac- academic, uh, the admission scandal is completely w- warrants all the federal attention and all the, you know, telling, you know, saying you want to put people in jail for years for their involvement in, tr- in getting their kids and, you know, admission into, you know, some of the elite universities and all that. I'm not sure that I see exactly where, you know, where that's a federal violation unless they, you know, had a bogus uh, uh, donation that they took, you know, uh, a tax advantage uh, as a um, as a charitable donation, for example, when it really was a way to, you know, buy your kid admission into a, uh, you know, into a school. I could see that, but but some of the the, the parts, of, uh, you know, that they're extending, uh, you know, federal jurisdiction into, I'm not I'm not completely convinced. So you know, I may see it one way. And, you know, the feds may see it another way. So uh, so I think it was, you know, it's opportunistic. If you're going to file a lawsuit, you probably want to say, hey, you know, this is something the feds ought to look into because it's a, it's a scheme or there's fraud involved or whatever. And, uh, you know, not a good look uh, And you, if you've got to defend that. But, uh, but we'll see where that goes. 
I, I don't want to predict that one. Uh, I, I just I, I do think for certain it's covered by USC's own internal procedure. They have to be have a cover, you know, at the cover for you know people taking courses for somebody else or being paid to do so and all of that. If that happened again, is there any proof that that happened? Uh, you know, we haven't seen any. Yeah. Now, in terms of as I mentioned, USC as a university. Uh, issued a statement about this, but we haven't obviously heard from Clancy Pendergast or Clay Helton on the matter. How do you think they handle this going forward? I mean, it puts Clay and, and Clancy directly in the spotlight, especially uh, Lynn Swan, and adds another potential uh, new bad press story out there. How, how do you handle this if, if you're those three individuals? Well, I mean, you have to think USC has never commented on anything that's uh, – uh, involves a lawsuit. Never. I mean, just just not going to. And Clay's been really good at, you know, saying, I'm not going to say anything. So I can't even imagine him saying something, although, you know, in a way you'd like to defend your own, you know, uh, defensive coordinator who's been with the program, you know, for how, you know, two different stints and how many years uh, with Clancy. So, you know, does that, you know, is that the best answer to say, look, that's up, uh, you know, there's a lawsuit involved and we're researching it, but we're not going to say anything about it. Um, you would like to be able to say, look, there's nothing to it or we've, we've, you know, compliance has gone into this and they've investigated it and here's what compliance, you know, is, it, is this a role for the compliance people, for Michael Blanton to come forth and say, look, you know, Sure, there was a whistleblower, um, you know, situation. We checked it out. We talked to all the people involved. Here's what they say. There's nothing here. Uh, that would be, I think, my preference, but I'm not sure USC will choose to go that way. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, before we move on, any any other thoughts about this uh, lawsuit? Uh, you know what? I know there are people who say, oh, no, not again. USC has almost gotten to the place where you're so used to these kinds of things that do you get to the point where they kind of don't matter as much? It's not that big a deal. And I really hesitate to bring in, say, politics, for example. But let's say you're a president who – this is not going to go on one side or the other. But let's say you're a president – who has lots and lots of things going around, you know, constantly since before he was president, you almost get to the point where there are so many of those things that the next one doesn't really matter that much. Um, and I think with USC now, with all the stuff that's happened, you know, with, with scandals and, you know, non-sports related and sports related and, you know, for the last decade and, and increasingly so in the last year, you kind of just shrug and say, hey, you know, it's going to be okay, and just keep moving on. I don't know. I, I, I just don't know where this, where this lands. Is this just another one of those that people just say, ah, that's not as bad as we're used to or whatever, and you just keep keeping on? Um, I think we're getting close to that point for USC where it's not that big a deal just because it's one more on top of, so many that haven't necessarily always, you know, proven to be, you know, as 
as uh, as big a deal as they at first appear to be. I guess so. That, I, I would I would argue though that no news is better than than constant news to drown out the noise. You know, I think if you're I guess if you're a USC fan that that's the point of view you would take. But as from a national perspective, I think someone in the you know, SEC or something's like, oh, USC's in the news again. It kind of contributes to this brand of a little bit of a of a clown show. Yeah, I, there's no question about it. It, it. And yet, is it one of those things where where you just say, like you said, USC in the news again? <laughs> and there are people who say, hey, you know, just spell my name right or just get the name, whatever. It, all publicity is good publicity or whatever. I, you know, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. Uh, and yet my thought is if nothing would have happened with regard to USC and, and the law over the last year, this story would be bigger than it is now coming on the heels of so many other things. That's just, true. you know, isolating this story alone. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I don't know. I just think the thing about USC though is if they win, it kind of drowns out everything else. That's that's the thing. Yeah, no question. Yeah, it's all about the product you put on the field, how well you run your program, and people will <coughs> will give you kind of you know, if if it looks like all this is happening because you don't know what you're doing and everything is falling apart. That's one thing. But if you got the major thrust of your program is going in the right direction people can you know try to take you down but at least they give you credit for for doing a lot of things right and this is in that area where where you ask the question is it the administration do they not know what they're doing uh, you know are there not you know procedures in place uh although you know this one doesn't look like it falls in that category because we're told that from the very beginning of the of the court right situation he went to the you know he went to compliance he became a whistleblower he you know let him know and uh so sounds like they didn't agree with his interpretation of of what was going on but it doesn't sound like this is one uh where they purposely covered it up that we can tell because he's admitting that he went to went through the, you know, the compliance procedures. Now, we're going to have to see what compliance has to say. I think sometime in this, uh, in this case, compliance is going to have to come out and say, this is what, when we heard it, what we did, how we decided, all of that. And uh, I don't know when that'll, when that'll happen, but uh, it would seem like they've got to address that. Yeah, that seems like the logical next step, but... Sometimes with USC, the logical next step isn't always the next step. So we'll see about that. Um, But before we get into questions, I just want to talk about a little bit about PRPs, player-run practices. It's July, which means we finally get to talk to players. There's a PRP uh, later today. We're filming this on Tuesday. Uh, But Dan, as far as we've had to kind of wait and watch for a month, what's on your mind as far as storylines, players you want to talk to, and and what what you want to figure out by talking to players? Well, I mean, uh, one of the things you'd like to talk to is uh, uh, JT Daniels just back from the uh, uh, Manning Passing Academy where he was last week, and I know he wasn't there Thursday. Uh, I think he got back Sunday night. But I'd be interested to, you know, what did you learn 
you know, did, you know, how do you interact with, you know, Peyton and Eli and, and Archie and how much, you know, I mean, I just, uh, I just think Archie's just the absolute, one of the greatest, uh, people I've ever, you know, been around in, in college football and, uh, just be interested to see what, what JT, you know, picked up, you know, from being around those guys. Cause the way they ran, you know, worked as quarterbacks is not the way JT is working, you know, in the, you know, Graham Harrell's offense. So be interesting to see how did, how did he benefit from being down there? What was it like? You know, a lot of the top quarterbacks in the country were, you know, camp counselors and, and all of that. So, uh, so I'd be interested in that. As far as talking to players, I really like, I think, Michael Pittman's perspective on, on what's going on. He's sort of becoming, you know, the mother hen out there and, and sort of really taking on the leadership role. And, and I just like to ask him, you know, how this looks compared to a year ago at this time and, and, and what's the difference with this team and, and, and what does he see, you know, that, that's going on, with, you know, with these guys. And then, uh, boy, after that, there's just so many, you know, you, you kind of would like to talk to. Uh, but uh, uh, I think I, I might, you know, start with, with uh with those two guys and uh, you know a guy that's always good to talk to I think uh on the defense is Talanoa Hafanga yeah. even as just a second year guy he just has that feeling about he looks like he's been here forever and he's sort of the you know kind of the you know the talent and the glue that could hold things together uh and John Houston now I think is also taking on a much more you know, vocal leadership role as a senior and uh, as middle linebacker. And uh, and so I think those would be some of the guys that you'd like to, you know, catch up with. Yeah, without a doubt. This is always the time period where you kind of see the, the tentacles of leadership grow with whoever is going to take that uh, that opportunity. So figuring out who kind of has the mother hen vibe of this team is, is always interesting. I also want to talk to maybe Jordan Isefa. As we mentioned, he's the one who commented to us about yeah. how hard strength and conditioning is. I just want to know from the player standpoint, how, what's different this, this season, what's different with, yep. with Aaron Osmus and, and how do you compare it to prior seasons and, and the unity that seems to be coming out of those videos we see on social media of all those guys working out and Brett Nealon posted, he just got his personal best uh, in one of his weight uh, training things. So just figuring all that out and after watching them for a month is always interesting. Yeah. And he's uh very proud of holding his weight at the, he finally got to 300 pounds and he's holding it right there. And, uh, and so that's kind of a, a, you know, a nice thing if you can you know, get your weight to where you really thought it needed to be. And also, uh, the, uh, setting personal records, uh, that's, uh, you know, in terms of weightlifting, uh, that's a good sign. I think that's the kind of thing you want to see happening, uh, on this offensive line. They really, you want to see that sense of competition and that sense of just really working, you know, to be the best they can be. And we are, you know, we are seeing it. I mean, so uh, you'd like to see how they're seeing it uh, through their eyes. Uh, but uh, it does it does look different. I know we were worried last year, did not have uh, a great feeling about where this was going. And, and you could tell that guys like Cam Smith, who were trying to be the spokesman and the leader, also – did not seem to be on the same page with the player with the rest of the players, and I don't know where you know that all kind of 
you know, fell apart. But that's, uh, you know, when you talk to Cam, you got the sense that everybody wasn't together. And uh, you don't get that sense right now. Yeah, that's what I'm curious about. Because if you look at that video that Brett Nealon posted, the guys that are around him cheering him on when he, when he, I think it was like a hang clean or something like that. My weightlifting terminology, I need to brush up on that. But yeah. uh, when yeah. when he got that, his his PR guys were so excited for him. You can see that they, they look like they just got their PR. So seeing that excitement that their teammates are having for their peers is, is interesting. It seems like a good development for USC. And we didn't see that. Uh, that was not there. I mean, I mean, obviously Porter Gustin was doing Porter Gustin stuff. And I think most of the guys looked at him and said, well, that's Porter. He's kind of a freak. We're never going to be like that, you know. And this year, you don't kind of see that. You see kind of, well, we're all in this together, uh, which is, I mean, he has to be a better way to go. Uh, so we'll see how, how that plays out and how they see it playing out. But, you know, from our viewpoint, our vantage point, whatever, a little bit on the outside, it looks like that's what we see happening. Yeah, for sure. So we'll have... I'm sure we'll have a lot of interviews, uh, articles, things like that. I'll probably do instant analysis as well. So make sure you look out on uscfootball.com for that. But let's get into questions. We have one uh, from Nick from Cyprus, a.k.a. Big Nick 21 USC from the P. He says, Dan, can you give us a reason why we have Clancy Pendergast as a, cl- as a coach after this lawsuit? He's overrated and a one-trick pony, and the rest of this conference has figured him out. This is embarrassing. I want to give Clay Helton a second chance, but this might be the nail in his coffin. Why- and why did we hire Joe DeForest? Who is that? <laughs> Nick says, fight on. Well, uh, we'll go with the last one first. Joe DeForest actually uh, it was the... Um, um, Defensive coordinator at West Virginia, and uh, and at Kansas. So he's uh, you know he's been a, a you know a defensive coordinator. He's been around uh, you know a good bit, and he's got a got a pretty good track record. And he was the analyst uh, you know last year, or grad assistant. I'm not sure which which of those two categories. And he just hung in there. He wanted to get back into, uh, uh, and I think he he and Clay were on the first staff for both of them. After they got out of college, um, I believe at Duke as like grand assistant. So he goes way, way back with uh, with Clay. But he's had uh, you know a, a pretty you know you know distinguished uh, you know record as a as a Power Five uh, defensive coordinator at you know two Power Five schools. So uh, so you know we'll see. Uh, but he put in his his time last year. Uh, you know, as a as an analyst, and then uh, you know that opportunity uh, you know opened up, and uh, so uh, uh, so I think I don't I don't think he's not legit at all. Uh, I think he's you know he's he's a guy that you wouldn't say, oh, how in the world could you hire that guy? Uh, he's been there and done that. As far as Clancy, um, you know, Clancy was. You know, very close. It certainly sounds like, uh, you know, in terms of not coming back. I mean, uh, the defensive guys, uh, you know, didn't all make the cut this last year. Uh, you know, the defense uh, didn't have a good year. I mean, I don't think there's any way, you know, around that. There wasn't a lot of development. Didn't look like there was a lot of, you know, teaching. It didn't look like as much as you talk about Clancy, talk about communication. 
it didn't look like, you know, the communication, you know, just from the coaches to the players, uh, you know, worked that well. I know this time, you know, Clancy is absolutely guaranteed he's going to make it much more simple that it's going to be the kind of defense that, you know, college guys that are 18, 19 years old and that only have 20 weeks that are like, or 20 hours a week uh, to put in the football are going to be able to, you know, really uh, be able to execute it and be able to understand it and be able to, you know, just without having to you know, think too hard. This is they're just going to go out and be able to go out and play. You know, these are not you know, twenty-eight year old, you know, NFL veterans who have forty, fifty hours a week to spend on football. So we'll see how that goes. And 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 the other guarantee has been that we're going to get more guys ready to play. I mean, obviously, they're probably you know, with the offense that USC is going to run, there are going to be more defensive opportunities as well, and more you know time on the field. And you're going to have to have more than one deep, and and you're really going to have to have the rotations ready to go. And if you don't trust your players because they don't know what what they're doing, uh, then you got a problem. I mean, uh, I think last year with. Uh, you know, Pali, uh, uh with all his talent and for so long not able to get on the field, just makes you wonder, you know, what exactly was going on. Or you go to the UCLA game and that USC was not able to, you know, be sound against that one play that UCLA kept running and running. And the whole idea of, you yeah, know, we got to get our run fits, uh, you know, down and we got to be sound and we've got to you know yeah but uh, that was such a bad example of a defense that just didn't have its act together at all so uh yeah i think clancy you know got a long way to go with proving to people that he's the right you know he's the right guy for this job and uh this is going to be an interesting test i mean he's saying all the right things in terms of how they're going to teach it and what they're going to be doing and, uh, you know, how they really worked hard at making the front seven much more sound. And, and, the, and the defensive linemen, which, who looked to be in, you know, certainly better shape. And, I mean, they, they just didn't make much progress last year at all. And uh, now, uh, you know, I, like, I really like the way Coach, uh, you know, Chad Kay has, uh, has come in here. And I think he's really been a, you know, a positive influence. I think Greg Burns has been a you know real positive influence in uh, you know coaching the, uh, the the secondary with a lot of talent, uh, a lot of kind of injury concerns, and not a lot of experience. Uh, it's going to be interesting. They need to be coached up. They need to be doing things that they all can do and that they're all going to do on every play. They can't keep giving up those big plays. They just uh, they've got to get a lot more sound. They got to get more turnovers, takeaways. Uh, four interceptions last year, just way, 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 way below uh, where that a team with USC's talent and playing a lot of teams to throw the ball uh, where they were. But uh, but Nick, I think you're right. This is a this is a year for Clancy to prove uh, that he's the right guy for this job. I think some people on the Peristyle viewed this lawsuit as maybe an excuse to get rid of Clancy Pendergrass. But, Dan, I just don't see that happening unless something outrageous comes out of this uh, one month prior to fall camp starting. 
Yeah, I mean, I I don't think we have any idea what came up in the uh, in the compliance looking at these in compliance looking at these charges, but you would think if, if there was something there that compliance turned up, uh, that would have already happened. And yeah. the, the fact that nothing has happened, uh, you know, because I don't know that there was anything in that, uh, you know, in that lawsuit that would say, oh, well, I, you know, I believe what's in the lawsuit. I mean, you know, is there, is there proof of, of any of that? I mean, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that we saw any proof. Uh, and without any proof, I, I just don't think you can do that and say, okay, this is our chance. Um, but you know, we'll, and we, we keep saying this, we'll see. Yeah. Um, we don't know what, what the investigation, it, it certainly sounds like USC would have had to investigate. Now, if USC didn't investigate for some reason and there's no, you know, case file and there's no evidence, you know, there's no evidence of USC having gone through, you know, this. Um, these charges, then I don't know where that leaves things. Yeah. If USC would say, gee, somehow we didn't investigate this, or somehow we don't really know what the facts are, then I don't know where that leaves somebody who's um, kind of had these kinds of charges lodged against them. I think that would that would be a little, um, that would be, It'd be really difficult to say where does where does that leave everybody? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, let's go to another question uh, we got from Jack from New Jersey. He has two. The first one, he says, can you explain the rationale behind Rick Carr being terminated? It makes no sense to me. Someone has to do that job. So, Dan, for those who don't know, can you explain what happened with Rick Carr and, and who what he did for USC? Yeah, I mean, Rick was a... Uh, I think when he started, he was a uh, still uh, uh, a detective uh, in the Torrance Police Department. I think 21 years ago, and so he was here uh, before Pete Carroll got here. But Rick was the guy always in the picture, in the photos of Pete Carroll. Uh, you know, either on TV or the photos after the game, coming out to shake hands with the other team. And unlike, like if you looked at, you know. A lot of the big state universities, they'll always have two uh, state cops, the state troopers or whatever, uh, kind of providing security uh, for, you know, the head football coach. And it's a big deal and, you know, travel with the teams and all of that. Well, Rick provided that, but he was always kind of, you know, dressed like a USC coach. So, you were, you know, USC never went in, and the Pac-12 doesn't go in much for having, you know, state troopers. Uh, accommodate or accompany the coaches. I think UCLA has a couple of uh, UCLA policemen that are always, you know, with the head coach. But you have to, you know, somebody who would provide security for the, you know, the coaches and the teams uh, on the travel would be kind of a, uh, be somebody to, for example, uh, chauffeur them and get them, you know, places if you have to go somewhere after practice or on a particular day or whatever, and, you know, in LA, you almost need somebody to do that. You know, it's really hard. I know there were times when I was covering both USC and UCLA, and the UCLA coach didn't have somebody like that uh, who would be there all the time, and they'd have to very often drive themselves to 
luncheons or meetings or whatever. And it was a lot harder for the UCLA coach than a USC coach who had, you know, somebody would accompany them and, and all of that. I don't think we've been given a, you know, a, a good answer as to exactly what's going on. Is it, you know, USC's had to cut the budgets. Um, is it, you know, budget related? Are they not going to have somebody do that job? Um, you know, is somebody on the staff capable of doing that particular job? I mean, it's really, I think, and Rick was a, a really cool guy, wonderful guy, great personality. Uh, but a trained, you know, uh, a trained police officer. And, and I think it's, there are times when you probably need somebody who really understands how to, you know, in crowds and in, in situations, uh, you know, when you're traveling and all that, who just has that ability to um, step in and, you know, intervene or calm things down or, or just keep things, you know, moving in the right direction. Again, we had, you know, no really, you know, good explanation for, 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 you know, for what happened there. And, uh, uh, we're going to try to, you know, see if we can find out exactly, uh, you know, what went on, but, uh, you know, we yeah, hate to see, you know, Rick go and, and, um, I think he's going to be missed. And, and I don't know, I think they have to replace, uh, some of the, you know, the things he did. I, I just think there's no other way that in this day and age that you can, you know, not have somebody doing those kinds of things. And, uh, uh, I don't know where this, you know, I don't know where this goes, don't know why it happened, but, uh, whether USC will, you know, talk about it or not, or just say, Oh, that's a personnel matter. Uh, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, I think we all hate to see Rick, uh, just a really good guy. Yeah, for sure. He was always so nice to us whenever we'd see him in passing, uh, but slightly related, John Robinson also uh, now joining LSU as a consultant. What are your thoughts yeah. on that, Dan? <laughs> well, I know the word was for anybody who, who was saying last week that John Robinson had been, had been let go. USC was saying, no, 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 no. That was it was mutual uh, uh, agreement, and and he was, you know, the word was he's just retiring, and then within a couple of days he's unretiring. And going, uh, going back with with Ed Orgeron, who obviously you know knew John from Ed's years at USC, and another guy that you know Ed is you know picking up in the in the pipeline at LSU. I know John's wife is an LSU graduate, and uh, I think uh, maybe from New Orleans, and so this might be a chance you know for them you know for them to go home, and for John to you know still be involved. As you know, sort of an advisor. He's not really going to do any coaching, but you know, it's the kind of thing. If he's in a room and Ed says, "Well, what do you think about this, coach? Or, what do you think about that?" Uh, I just think it's you know, I think it's just another way. And you can't blame Ed for tweaking USC. I mean, he, you know, I think that was one of the the major. If you had to list the major mistakes that USC has made in the last decade, and it's a pretty long list. The failure of USC to extend Ed's uh, contract when he was the interim head coach by Pat Hayden, and the uh, and bringing in Steve Sarkeesian uh, to become the head coach, and then in effect running Ed off, uh, was one of the major mistakes made by USC. There are a whole lot of them, but this that was a bad one. And I think every once in a while Ed just you know said, well you know. Uh, 
if I can help somebody out who was at USC, I will. And uh, I'll look good. LSU will look good. USC will look bad, which is what happened. And John, I thought, was John, he had the ability. He did a lot of, uh, you know, fundraising dinners and, and, and things like that. And he had almost uh, the uh, professional comedian's ability and timing. He was very good, very funny, very professional. I mean, uh, he was, you know, when he would be on stage and introducing people or going back and forth or making comments or whatever, he was closer to being a professional comedian than he was to being a professional coach. I mean, he had a real a real skill, uh, you know, for doing that. And, uh, you know, again, when USC says, oh, he's just retiring, and then he uh, a couple of days later shows up unretired at, U- at LSU, probably doesn't make USC look – and it's another thing that doesn't make USC look good. doesn't make them look like they're uh, being completely uh, honest about what happened. Yeah. So we have one final question from Jack from New Jersey. He says, will Brandon Peely live up to the hype? I've heard about him for the past two years. Thanks and find on the work commute would be boring without you guys. Huh. Well, that's a good question. And I don't, I think that's, that's up to Brandon. Brandon's got, I think all the tools. And, uh, I think the, the, you know, being one of the, the trio with HFLA and, uh, and Marlon Tui Pelotu, um, those guys have a lot of talent. Uh, I thought they really just sort of got stuck in the mud last year a little bit, and we just didn't see those guys and, and whose fault that was and how that worked. I don't know. But uh, I think, you know, we're going to see, and I just think a sense of all of them have a real role, and, and, and they're not, you know, the young guys anymore. These are guys that, have you know, all kinds of talent, and I mean they're athletic. I mean these are big guys who can move, and um, so I, I think you could say we'll put last year on the defense. Last year will be, but this year is on them. So I think it's right to focus on those guys because they should be able to be kind of dominant players uh, with their uh, athletic ability and uh, with the way they're gonna, you know construct the defense this year and those guys are really important and um, I think um, you know it's going to start with them I mean I think they have to you know control the line of scrimmage and so uh, it'll be right to you know really focus on how those guys are developing and how they're doing and I mean it's to the point where they should be developed at this point in year three for those three um, this is the time to get it done and um, you know but I think he's got a chance. He's pretty darn athletic. I mean, a guy that, you know, could 6'4 and 320 and can dunk a basketball and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Doesn't even need to, you know, take much of a run. He's he's an athletic kid. So now it's time to show it. Yeah, without a doubt. I think it's interesting that Clay Helton himself admitted that Brandon Peely went through a sophomore slump of sorts. Um, because you don't really hear a head coach kind of admit to that. But I think that's what Brandon Peely went through. He had that freshman season where he exceeded expectations, and then I think there was a little bit of a mental-slash-maturity hiccup in his sophomore year. And, you know, he missed the the first half of uh, the Texas game due to a disciplinary issue, and whether or not that's KU being too hard on him or not, we don't know the full story. But I do think that 
Brandon Peely is aware that he knows that the third year is his time to really show up and, and be that guy for USC's defensive line. So it'll be interesting to, interesting to see if he takes a hold of that, that opportunity. Yep. I mean, absolutely agree. Yep. So we have a long email from Jim B. So hang in there, Dan, already. So he says, yep. All I've heard so far from a lot of USC fans is what a terrible 2018 season JT Daniels had. I must be missing something here. I know that stats don't tell you everything, but if you just look at the stats, you can make the case that JT Daniels had the greatest true freshman season of any QB in USC history, including Matt Barkley's 2009 season. Statistically speaking, the leading returning 2019 Pac-12 quarterback is Stanford junior KJ Costello, 272.3 yards per game. JT Daniels was right behind Costello Costello in passing yardage per game at 242.9. He wasn't perfect, but he was a true freshman. They keep talking about replacing Daniels with Jack Jack Sears. Jack Sears is, a, is an outstanding quarterback. Nobody is arguing about that. But the only way I would ever make a change is if Sears clearly beat out JT Daniels in fall camp. If it was just even, wouldn't you want to go with a QB who has already had 11 starts under his belt and did well as a true freshman? It just seems to me that JT has become the fall guy for the 2018 season. Forget the fact that our offensive line was atrocious. Forget the fact that we had a guy who was great, a, a great receivers coach, but was not a good offensive coordinator. Let's just blame JT Daniels. Am I missing something? Fight on Jim B. Yeah, Jim, I, I tend to really agree with you. I thought he was made to escape. I thought JT was made to escape for all sorts of problems, including a gumbo offense that didn't have any focus, uh, an offense that didn't have the ability to run the ball, uh, that at times could pass protect, at times couldn't, and you didn't know when those times were coming. Uh, JT was forced to throw an awful lot of, you know, balls into into coverage where, you know, it's going to be a jump ball and, and, and hope that your, your guy caught it. Uh, I thought he had a really good freshman year. Uh, I just, you know, I just think it, it was easy for people to say, you know, going into the year, well, he's our hope. And, and then if things didn't go right, you got to blame somebody. And they decided, you know, to blame uh, JT, but uh, I'm pretty much in agreement there. I thought, thought he, I mean, I think and people were, you know, shocked when they see JT behind all these guys that are, are so highly touted, you know, at uh, uh, the transfers at Washington or, you know, uh, Herbert at, at Oregon or Khalil Tate and just one, one after another, if you ask people to rank the quarterbacks in the Pac-12, you know, they'll have, you know, if JT's lucky, they'll have him at, at number six, uh, you know, in the league. And I, I just don't think that's correct. But, uh, you know, he's going to get a chance to, to prove it this year. But uh, I think you're right. I thought he took a bum rap for, you know, a freshman quarterback in a system that was as confused and unfocused as last year's USC offense was. Yep. Alrighty, we have one last question for the podcast. It's from Paul in Vegas. He says, if Jeff Tedford and his pack of ravenous bulldogs could upset Troy this season, is he a legit candidate to replace Clay Helton? I thought he was a good coach at Cal and has performed miracles at Fresno. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, I really like Jeff. I thought, you know, he did an awful lot of good things at, at Cal. He, he produced so many NFL players, uh, scared the life, you know, out of USC, uh, most of the time that, you know, that USC and Cal played and in some memorable games, Jeff is a, uh, you know, an LA native. 
uh, I, I, an awful lot to like about uh, about Jeff Tedford. The job he's done at uh, um, at Fresno the last two years is just absolutely remarkable. And uh, yeah, I I certainly would have you know if last year you ended up looking for a new coach for USC. I mean, he he I would have you know said he's in the mix, and there I know there are people who say. You know he's really happy at, at Fresno, his alma mater, and um, that's where he's going to stay. But uh, everything that he's done at Fresno, if you did that at USC, um, you know, with the ability to recruit like you've got at USC, you uh, you really have something going. So yeah, he, I, I, you know, couldn't respect anybody anymore. Um, you know, I think I think it was tough. The last years when he was at Cal, it's a hard job. That's really, really, really tough job. And I think you know he might have run out of gas a little bit, and then came back all refreshed, uh, you know, at the Fresno job. But uh, he's a guy you you just have to respect. He's just such a you know a professional, um, you know, coach who who really knows what he's doing and really gets the job done. And it's a he's a great. That's a great opening game for for USC and 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 Fresno State with uh, Jeff Tedford coming to town. I think he does everything you know right, and uh, it'll be a nice challenge for USC to say that, that you know they're on that same you know you know glide path that they're getting it all done right. And um, um, so, yep, couldn't couldn't say enough good things about Jeff Tedford. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up for today's podcast. Unless you have any final thoughts, Dan? I know I always say that on instant. I might as well say yeah. it here, too. <laughs> no, I think I'm, I'm just uh, looking forward to getting to talk to some of the players and uh, and just getting a sense of, of where they are now. We haven't seen them, you know, MBL talk to them since spring training or spring, uh, you know, practice. And this will be uh, this will be fun uh, fun to catch up with them and see how their how their summer's going. And, uh, you know, it's only – July 24th, we've got the you know, Pac-12 media day, and uh, that's sort of the official, uh, you know, start. And then uh, uh, a week later, USC is on the field and, and ready to go, and, and that's this darn season will be here before we know it. Yep, it's getting it's getting closer, very close, very soon. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up for today's Parasol podcast. We hope you guys have a good Fourth of July. Ryan and the whole crew will be back for our normal schedule soon. Uh, But that's Dan. I'm Keely. We'll see you all next week.